All right, well, welcome everybody. I am back. The beard is gone, which means my son was born, which is why I took a few weeks off. Uh, just deal with that. He came like nine days late, but it was a, so much fun. Having a blast. He's five days old right now. Super exciting. But I am back, ready to have a fun conversation. I received a message from a supporter that said some missionaries from the World Church World Mission Society, Church of God, came to their, her door and wanted to have a conversation about Mother God and these things and really kind of caught her off guard. And she was taking care of her two little boys and didn't have the time. But she said, hey, why don't you come back later? I'd love to talk to you about this. And then wrote me and said, hey, do you know anything about this? And I went, you know, not a whole lot, but I know who does. And that is Mike Winger. And so I talked to Mike. And so we're going to have a little conversation about that, as well as a recent video that he did on the long ending of Mark that I'm just curious. I want to have a conversation with Mike about. And then we're going to be taking your questions. So Mike, good to see you again. Thanks for coming on. Good to see you too, Ryan. Congratulations <laughs> on, uh, on, on a living human being. Thank <laughs> Making, you. You made, you made a person. That's pretty special. <laughs> It is crazy, like to think yeah. about like everything that goes into that and and what has happened is, um, yeah, it's still kind of crazy looking at him. You know, it's like the first couple of days, you know, I'd be holding him and I'd be like, you know, eventually his parents are going to come, you know, because I've, you know, held kids, but there's always someone to pass him off to. And it's like, right. his parents are going to come. Eventually I'm going to have to give this kid back. And it's like, wait, no, I am the parent. You know, it's like, <laughs> he, he's not going anywhere for, you know, maybe next 18 years or so, you know, we'll see. But <laughs> Right on, right on. It has man. been fun. It has been fun. I'm awake. We'll see how long that lasts. People go, yeah, you got you, you got your you know adrenaline going. It's your first week's not bad, but we'll see how you are in a week or two. So, anyways, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Beard be growing out of your ears, and <laughs> <laughs> I know that's like that's the biggest thing that needed to go. So, uh, <laughs> awesome. Well, welcome back. This is your second time joining me on the show. I appreciate it. You, we've come on the first time talking about the Passion Translation. I'm kind of curious maybe to get a, maybe an update if you have one later on, but mainly wanted oh, to kind of talk to you about a few different things, just kind of have this conversation and, and kind of allow you to kind of share uh, some insights into different questions that I know my supporters have had, as well as I have had, as well as other people who are joining here has. So if you have questions, you can put them in the live chat. We'll do our best to kind of get to them, topic, topics about the Bible, uh, Christianity, apologetics evangelism that sort of thing but maybe mike if uh if anyone's watching this on youtube that doesn't know you although i think many people on youtube do know you you have a wonderful channel and i encourage people to check it out but really quick kind of share a little about what a uh, little bit about what you do uh, your ministry and um yeah for those who are watching um so i i do uh, theology and apologetics online i do verse by verse bible studies and whatever issue i touch my uh, my agenda is to go deeper than what you usually find and in that to create a sort of a fresh resource for people. And so like say the passion translation, I, I went deep on that. The, the world mission society, church of God, I went deep on that issue. And so there's a lot of more surface level stuff that's accessible. Um, but I find that I always have lots more questions you know, yeah. about everything about this passage of scripture, about that verse. And I read commentaries and I'm like, they skipped the part I was most interested in. You know, <laughs> and, and my teaching is like the opposite of that. So um, there's value in doing that. Of course, it, it just depends on what your what your sort of ministry is. But I do that online and God has really blessed it. And so the channel keeps growing and growing and it's become my full time thing. And I just produce free content for people. Um, and it's available on Mike Winger, which is the YouTube channel name, yep. my name, or on BibleThinker.org or podcast or the, the Bible Thinker app on your smartphone, or um, I don't know where else it is, in space somewhere. <laughs> Every, everywhere else, everywhere else. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I'm noticing your video is chopping up just a little bit, just so everyone is aware. We are in California, and there are some crazy 
winds, thunderstorms, rain going on right now. And so uh, you are a little bit blurry. So hopefully, yeah, hopefully my this, audio is okay. Yeah, your, your audio sounds good. Uh, we'll just blame you on having bad equipment mm -hmm. and um, just not knowing what you're right. doing there on the YouTube thing. Uh, no, I got this. Know. I'm ready for it. <laughs> All right. There you go. Good to go. <laughs> I, your roof is leaking too. All right. All right. So as we kind of jump in, oh my goodness, so good. And um, uh, all right. Uh, the first question that kind of came in that I wanted to kind of get your, your thoughts on, as I mentioned, is a supporter wrote and said, hey, these missionaries came to my door. Um, and mainly and what I love about this is saying like, hey, I, I got two kids. I'm busy. But why don't you come back later when I'm available? I'd love to talk to you about this. Right. So I'm trying to make herself available. But in the meantime, like, let me do my research. Let me get out there. Let me ask some questions and try to figure out how to sort of have these conversations. And so what she was asking was kind of what do they believe that's different? And then what are maybe some strategies some tactics to go about having these conversations? conversations. So when they show up at our door, we're ready for it. Now, I haven't had anyone from the World Mission uh, Society Church of God come to my door, and I don't know how many uh, here have, but uh, maybe let's kind of start with some of the beliefs, you know, kind of in your studies. And, and, I, and I did put links down below. Uh, to your videos. Uh, you have quite a few different videos on this topic that are much more in-depth teaching. And so I want to point people who are listening, go to Mike Winger's channel. If you're watching this video on YouTube, go into the description below and click on that to get the much more detailed in-depth teaching that he's done. Uh, here, we're going to just kind of stick surface level for those of us who just need to know some basics to kind of have this conversation. So what are some basic kind of beliefs, foundational principles of the World Mission uh, Society Church of God that would be helpful to know? All right. Okay. So there's, there's tons and tons of stuff I can say. So here's like a super quick overview, right? Yeah. Um, they believe that Jesus came back in the 1900s. He okay. came back in a new body born as a Korean man named Unsung Hong. That man died in 1985. They say that he restored the gospel in the form of a special method for observing Passover. And that if you don't do their special way of doing Passover communion, um, on this one special day of the year, then you are not saved. And so okay. then salvation is exclusively for their group. And the basically the day and time you eat the bread and wine, that is the gospel to them. Uh, the third thing, let's see, there's another God. <laughs> Surprise. There's yeah. a whole other God called God the Mother. And they say that the whole Bible teaches about God the Mother and people just missed it for, you know, ever. Um, and you have to worship her. Surprise, again, this other God, God, the mother is not just a theoretical deity out there in space. She's a Korean woman living in a physical body named Zangil Ja, currently in her 70s. And you can go and worship and visit her at in, in South Korea at this place they call Zion. Right. So they've tried to they tried to sort of make a new Jerusalem, a new Zion. She's the new God, all this kind of thing. Um, you when you hear this stuff, they, they will not tell you these things at the, uh, right away. Right? right. They might be like mother god but you will have a whole conversation and not know they're talking about a literal 70 something year old korean woman right that you they won't tell you that stuff so they keep things secret for a while but they want you to get rebaptized right away right right away from the first meeting that you go to they want you to get baptized and they may not even tell you they're going to do this but when they do it they'll baptize you in the name of not just christ but in the name of christ on song hong which is that that korean guy from the 1900s right. They're an extremely controlling group, hyper controlling, and um, they, they take tons of money and time and, and commitment from the people. They sometimes arrange marriages and things like that as well and <clears throat> encourage abortions because pregnancy in some in some of the groups, it, every every local they call it a Zion, a local Zion, their local church gatherings. Every local one is different. They're not all identical. 
but that controlling factor is there and incredibly aggressive in their outreach. And so if you're on a college campus, even in the US, you're, you're there's a good chance you'll run into someone of this persuasion. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's okay. So there's a 70 year old woman uh, in South Korea uh, claiming to be mother God. What has, do you know what this woman has done or is it that to, to, to show to people like I am God, I somehow have supernatural abilities and powers, or is it mainly the, the words of the founder of this, this is who it is and, and kind of just trust me on it. Um, yeah, I don't know of any evidences that are usually they'll focus on offering evidences about on song Hong. And then if you know, if he's true, then she's true kind of automatically. But right, the actual history of this stuff is really complicated. So yeah, on song Hong, he didn't believe in a mother God. And there was this one lady who tried to imitate and say she was she was the mother of God, the New Jerusalem. This is the term they use New Jerusalem for mother God. And he wrote a book refuting it. There is no such thing as Mother God. This is ridiculous. You can't use these verses that way. Well, after he died, his his because they weren't expecting him to die. They thought the mm -hmm. end of the world was 1988. He dies in 1985. Everybody's panicking and the movement splits. And one of the sides that's more aggressive and evangelistic, they uh, they take on this new Mother God doctrine. And his mistress, Zengel Ja, claims to be Mother God, not even his wife. Right? This is just mm -hmm. a woman he was with. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's there's no evidence for that. Um, <clears throat> what they'll do is they'll focus on evidence for um, there being a mother God by quoting, say, Genesis. God said, let us create man in our image. And right. they'll go, our? Well, if, you know, the hour is mother, the mother. And then um, now Genesis actually says he created man in his image. So the image is just God. And the, the plural there is is complicated in Hebrew, but it's, it's matched with singular verbs. And so it's not an issue. Right. <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, the uh, the other stuff they'll say is <clears throat> argument by analogy. So an argument by analogy, which I'm always super suspicious of people who argue for new theology from an analogy, they say, well, you know, all of us on earth, every person has a mother and a father. Right. And so it just stands to reason that if we have a father God, then we have a mother God. Right. And and I and I'm and, trying. I was trying to find it as you were saying that because I, I I had on their website their analogy where they had this picture and like it is all drawn out and it is worked through. Like mm -hmm. we are God's children. The Bible teaches that clearly, and it's like all these verses saying that we're God's children, and that says you know yeah. uh, God is our Father, and here's all these verses that God is our Father. Now, if we're children, God's our Father. Every other living thing has a mother, therefore there has to be a mother God as well. Right. But God, but God didn't make us through biological procreation. That's the right. thing. Like he didn't, <laughs> right. He didn't like make heavenly whoopee and create a bunch of people. This is not Christian doctrine. And so we have countless scriptures that talk about how um, there's only one God that made us. So Malachi 2.10, it says, um, do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? So yes, we have a father, but only one God made us, right? Right. He's, there's only a, a, a heavenly father. There is no heavenly mother. Um, or in Isaiah 44, 24, it says, I am the Lord, the maker of all things who spread out the earth by myself. Well, I mean, how insulting would this be if mother right. God's like, hey, what about me? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. obviously God's trying to really drive this in. There's only one Old Testament character that's similar to this mother God thing. And that is um, the worship of Asherah, who in some ancient Jewish context, they, they took this pagan God Asherah and they called her the wife of Yahweh. And it, all you have to do is read the prophets and how angry God was about this. Like you do not pretend that God has a wife. Um, and unfortunately the people who fall for the church of God, the world mission society, church of God, they're being lied to their scriptures being taken out yeah. of context and they're being given weird analogies. 
And then they quickly go get baptized. Okay, now get get into the Zion. You're only mm. safe here. And you have to observe our Passover. Everyone else is pagan. Everyone else is, is is going to hell. And the end is coming. But but you you can't even get all the information yet, right? Like you have to be a member for a, in good standing for a certain length of time before you're even allowed to read the books. Mm. Like imagine if I wouldn't give you a Bible. Yeah. you tithe to my church for six months. <laughs> what? <laughs> then then I'll give you the good information. So yeah, so, so what do they do? What do they do then with with the verses? Like you, you mentioned some of those of like, you know, I am God. I stretch out the heavens by myself. But like where God says in Isaiah, like, I, I am the one, the only I know of no other God. Like, h- how does God not know of any other God if there is another God, mother God? Right. This is what every cult always does. They change the subject. Right. They, they jump off that verse. They go, ah. But it says in the New Testament that there's a new Jerusalem coming out of out of out of heaven and and that she's the bride. So it's God's bride. Who's God's bride? That's God the mother. Right. But first Corinthians tells us that the bride of is, is the church. Right. That yeah. the, we're the bride. And so it's talking yeah. about us. It's not an analogy about a heavenly thing, a heavenly being. Well, yeah. yeah. And that's what they have. That's what they have right here. If I can pull this up, there we go. Um, now, what's interesting is is on the, their website, it's like here's the truth, and then the very first thing is, does different mean wrong, right? And so I think it's interesting, and maybe this can help in kind of those evangelistic conversations. Is like, you know, you have different cults, and sometimes it's like, you know, like Mormons. Like you, you talk to Mormons, and then like I, when I talk to them at BYU, they'll get very offended and be like, we are Christians, like, and to say like, no, you're not a Christian, they can get very offended by that. Um, and I've had some missionaries like, no, like we have different beliefs about God. We believe different mm-hmm. things. And it's like kind of mm-hmm. helpful. And so here it's kind of helpful, at least for me on their website to say like, hey, right up from the beginning, uh, we are different. But also it says at the top, you know, it, the church of God follows the teachings of the Bible. And so we've all got it wrong, I guess, Mike, right? But yeah, actually we're all pagan and, and they may say, hey, we're just different. But what they actually teach their people is that you and me are, are pagan. We're, we're ungodly, we're, 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 we're evil, and there's judgment is coming upon every church but their own. Yeah. So, it, you know, I'm, I'm, I, you know, we hold hands across, I don't even, right, I don't even know what denomination you're part of, nor do I care, right? Like, I know yeah. you hold to the gospel of Christ and the central truths of the Christian faith, and they're not like that at all, right? There's no, there's no uh, base of Christianity. There's just the, you know, World Mission Society Church of God post-1988 version, <laughs> and, and they're the only ones that can be saved. It's, yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And as you mentioned, you know, uh, they have here on the website, you know, on their beliefs about mother God, it says many people believe there's only one God, God, the father. However, the Bible testifies that there is our father in heaven and also that Jerusalem that is above is free. She is our mother. Galatians four twenty six, as you mentioned, the church of God believes mm-hmm. that God, the father and God, the mother on the basis of the Bible. So I have Galatians, uh, four 26 here on the right side. Um, that should be visible to everybody there. Um, do you have kind of maybe some brief comments that you can kind of make? So like if, if someone is in that conversation, uh, that people show up at their church and say, look, um, uh, or they show up at the door and, and want to have this conversation, they say, look, Galatians 4.26 right there says that Jerusalem is free above, is free. She is our mother. Um, how can we better understand what this verse here is talking about? Um, well, <clears throat> let's see. There's so much that we could share. Um, okay, I won't share the content from um, An Song Hong's book where he actually refutes that stuff specifically. But let's let's give you some oh, really? problems. Here's some problems okay. with their interpretation. Because uh, someone who's part of the Church of God is not going to believe me 
and take my word for it. But let's let's just look at the actual text itself, right? Galatians four, Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that is above it is free, and she is our mother. Here's problems with this interpretation. Paul tells us he's making an allegory in the interpretation. He's like, this is an allegory. So in Galatians four twenty four, just two verses earlier, he says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, being uh, children for slavery. She's Hagar. The other one's Jerusalem. So, I mean, if Mount, Mount Sinai has to be a real person, if we take Jerusalem to be a real person in that sense. Right. Do you understand? Like, it's inconsistent. Who is who's Mount Sinai? If Jerusalem's a female god, then who is Mount Sinai supposed to be? And it's it, she's not supposed to be anybody because it's just a... Um, Heavenly Jerusalem is just saying, hey, we're, we're part of the, We belong to the people of God. Like, so another parallel on could be this. Um, <clears throat> Jerusalem has is a place on earth, right? The one on earth isn't a person. It's a place. But a Jew could say Jerusalem is my mother because it's their motherland. They're, it's where they're from, right? I'm a California guy. That's where I'm from. <laughs> and so the one, when you say Jerusalem in heaven above is my mother, it means my citizenship is in Jerusalem. Hmm. That's that's the nature of talking about a city being a mother. Um, and it doesn't say at any at anywhere in this passage, it doesn't say there's another God. Like if Jerusalem is above and free, even if she is a, a real person somehow, then she's our mother, which would make her human. Right. Right. Like it, it's so there's nothing about it that works. It's a verse taken out of context. And what I have found is that there's Christians who just they've is, is they've been in church for years and years. And sadly, they've just never learned to read the Bible. Right. And I don't say this at all. It's not meant to insult anybody. What I'm saying is if you heard this verse and someone came to your door or, or encountered you at a college or something and they go, well, the Jerusalem that's above is free and she's our mother. Therefore, there's a mother God. And that stumbled you and that caused you to go, whoa, maybe they're right. That's exposing a need in your heart to, to stop just listening to messages and to actually yeah. open and read whole books of the Bible right. slowly and thoughtfully. And that's the only way you'll you'll build up your like, your literary skills of just reading scripture, just read it in context. And it's the most powerful thing in the world. Yeah. I think that's so helpful. So, um, you know, in the last maybe couple minutes here, we, we've talked about maybe a couple of, of, do you have kind of maybe evangelism techniques and this could be used with this group as well as maybe Jehovah's witnesses or Mormons. Um, you know, I don't know how different it is if, you know, maybe there's some similar techniques when someone comes to your door and says, Hey, I want to talk to you about, Mother God and the, and the World Mission uh, Society, Church of God, um, what would you kind of say to people and how to engage in that conversation well? Um, well, one thing I, I would do is be super gracious and kind and see first see them as the victim of this false belief system and not as your enemy. And, you know, we, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And so that's that's a mentality thing. Um, you're not trying to defeat the person there. You're not trying to win an argument. You're not trying to get one up on them. You're actually trying to reach them with truth. And so you're, you don't even need to protect yourself. You know the truth. You need to reach them with the truth. That's the agenda here. And so um, with that in mind, you want to find out the reasons why they believe something and then address those reasons. Give them at least something to think about as they leave. So you go, why do you think there's a mother God according to the Bible? When they go to a verse, here's here's my policy. Don't let them go to another verse until you're done discussing that first That's verse. really good. Yeah. Yeah. And that alone will guide the conversation in a really good way. Right. You just yeah. you won't let them jump around. Well, but it says the New Jerusalem. No, no. You brought up Genesis. Let's talk about Genesis first. Right. 
And I, and I find that that's helpful in, in so many different conversations that you want to have on scripture is that people want to jump around and it's like, can we just like, and, and even not even scripture, just apologetics or whatever, like, can we just agree on one point? Like if, if we want to talk about the existence of God and you want to bring up the cosmological argument, like, let's talk about that. And then if someone else, like, what, yeah. what about God allowing evil? Like, okay, separate issue. We can talk about that later, but let's come back and let's have it. Let's, let's, can we get some sort of consensus or agreement or something here mm -hmm. on this point first? Awesome. Well, hopefully uh, this is helpful. I, this is helpful for me to kind of see some of these points of, of what they believe. And, and again, kind of encouraging people always going back to scripture and reading verses in context and, and thinking biblically about these things. Isn't that your idea, right. Mike? Absolutely. That's just the whole, <laughs> I mean, it's God's idea. <laughs> I try to do it. If, if you know, anybody's I, interested on my website, biblethinker.org, there's a whole, there's a whole section of videos on this group, the World Mission Society Church of God in great detail. I go through yeah. it. So if you need more detail, it's all right there. Yeah. You know, Mike, I, I was a little bit bummed and, 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 um, because I, I got one of your shirts, the Bible thinker shirts and, and you when did? I'm not wearing contacts, I wear my glasses and I went, you know, look, I'm going to, I'm going to wear that shirt and that logo of yours might actually, I, I may be able to steal your logo, you know, with the beard, the glasses, you know, <laughs> I wanted to wear, I wanted to wear it for the interview, but it's not coming until later this week. So anyways. that's awesome. Um, well, we both okay. got books in a guitar. So I, I'm like, why not? Why not just twin the whole thing? <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Next thing is um, that I was curious about. And then again, we're going to get to your questions. So if you have specific questions on the Bible, Christianity, evangelism, apologetics for Mike, uh, myself to kind of discuss, um, I'll put those in live chat. We'll get to those. Uh, but the second thing is you recently did a, a very in-depth study on the long ending of Mark. And, and this is one of those passages that I will uh, bring up to students when I'm doing an atheist role play of like, look, your Bible even says there have been mistakes. You have an entire section of Mark added. You have an entire section of John added with a woman caught in adultery. Like the, the Bible says that there have been mistakes, that the manuscripts have added stuff. Why do you believe the rest of it to be true? And and so I kind of use that to challenge them uh, to, to, mm -hmm. to think through biblical reliability. Now, obviously, I still believe the Bible is reliable, um, but, um, you know, I've just you just see in scripture like, hey, the earliest manuscripts don't contain this. And so there is kind of that debate on whether this is whether this should be there or whether it should not. And so I know you did tons of studies. Again, I linked that video in the description below. I encourage people to go check out that super long teaching that my, uh, Mike has with over 100 hours of research. Yeah. But if you could kind of maybe lay out uh, for me and others kind of, I'm curious, kind of what are the arguments on both sides as to why this should be there, why it is authentic or why it is not authentic? <clears throat> okay. Well, I, I'm going to say this ahead of time. I have my more careful nuanced teaching that he's already linked below. Right. So for, for people who know their stuff, you know, this is a crude a summary that I'm going to offer really crude. Okay. It needs more nuance, but if you split between two sides, right, you have one side that's like, Hey, these last 12 verses of Mark are authentic. They belong there. They're, you know, they were, they, they should be there. And they, and they generally say things like they're in the vast majority of manuscripts. They're, they're quoted by the church fathers. We have them quoted by the church fathers. Um, and, and they fit Mark's style. And, and, and if you end at Mark 16, eight, like for they were afraid, like if right. that's the last reason, then you, you end at a place that Mark obviously shouldn't end. And so we've got some really good reasons to think it belongs there. But then on the other side, you've got people that say, yes, you're right. The majority of manuscripts have this passage, but the earliest and best manuscripts don't. And right. so just because you have, and, and they'll say there's a trend in the manuscripts that it's not present. And then over time it becomes present 
and then it spreads and pr proliferates. So it's like the copyists go, hey, is this original or not? I don't know. Well, I'm not going to throw it out if I don't know. I'll just include it, which is what I would want them to do. I don't want them yeah. making that decision for me. <laughs> right. So, so they include it when they're in doubt. They include it. Right. They just keep it there. Um, and then they'll say um, it's actually not in some of the important church fathers who should have known about it. This is what the other side will say. And so, yeah, it's in many church fathers, but not the, not the most important places. Look, look at this guy doesn't say it. That guy doesn't say it. And they, some of what I would consider pretty strong arguments is the argument about the grammar and the way of speaking in Mark, the last 12 verses versus the rest. That there are there are signs, and this is super complicated, and I go through it all in detail, but there's signs yeah. that, it, that it, it looks like it was written by someone who has a different way of talking. You know, I have a certain way of speaking, and if I just suddenly change the way I construct my sentences, you know, people might hear that and go, well, why is he talking different now? Yeah. Um, so, so there's that kind of thing there. And it's, it's obviously this is super detailed because we're talking about going through hundreds and hundreds of different manuscripts and their dates and where they come from geographically and looking at tr different church fathers and trying to figure out, was this church father quoting Mark 12 in this passage or not? And we're talking about like, well, Mark usually uses this word. And here in this passage, he uses this other word. What, what's the likelihood he would do that? These are really tough questions, right? So yeah, those are some of the discussions that are going on there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. And I was talking to Bill Mounts about this and the live stream might've just cut out. I don't know what happened. Um, some people are saying it's okay. And then others, my site, it says an error occurred. So uh, let us know in the chat if it's working. Yeah. I, someone just said out. So uh, at least this will be recorded. And if I can, I'll, I'll post this recording up later um, if it doesn't come back on. But, uh, you know, I, I was talking to Bill Mounts, who was on the ESV Translation Committee and is now on the NIV Translation Committee. And we're I was talking about, you know, specifically like uh, approaching Christmas uh, when it, when Jesus went to Bethlehem and it says there's no room in the inn. Uh, the NIV has now changed that to guest room, uh, which is a more, I think, a more accurate translation. I said, you know, but why is it that when there are these things that we historically know um, is is not the best why why do we keep translating it in and it's like well that's kind of tradition and unless you have maybe like that really good convincing evidence to to go otherwise and you know ruin everybody's christmas play that has the innkeeper and everything like let's just keep it in there because it's maybe not as big of a deal um and so he kind of yeah. argued uh you know I think he said arguing for taking out the long ending of mark and john chapter 7 and putting it in the footnotes and that the only reason that people uh, said otherwise is, well, it would be such a long footnote. <laughs> and so let's just kind of keep it there uh, in brackets. And so um, kind of interesting uh, on, on his perspective as well, um, thinking right. about that side. I don't really have a problem with it being a long footnote personally, but <laughs> but so John, you were thinking of John 753 through like 811, I think it is. Right. That, right. So that that passage. But Mark actually has a lot more substantial support than the John one does, at least as far as I've been able to to see, like a significant amount more, even though my, my own conclusion. OK, my conclusion at the end of my study was Mark. It was not originally in Mark. I think Mark originally ended at verse eight before they were afraid. And I have a whole video about how do you explain that strange ending? I don't think it's that strange once you work through it. Um, <clears throat> and I don't think that Mark wrote. So there's two different questions. Was it originally there? And then was it written by Mark? I don't think he wrote it, but I think that it's so early in the in the manuscripts and in the tradition and accepted fairly early by the church that it may just be a sign that the Holy Spirit simply intended for those 12 verses to eventually come into come into that. It could have been a some here's my theory, just a guess. Right. I'm not saying yeah. this is true. It could have been written by, say, a um, uh, a local church leader who had 
you know, been taught by the apostles, right? And then he writes it down and he adds it in there because Mark doesn't carry the final part of the testimony of the, of the, uh, he carries the resurrection, but not the final part of the witnesses of the resurrection. And so someone summarized what the apostolic tradition was toward to them and puts it in there. And so I, I kind of want it to stay in my Bible, but I want it with a footnote that's, that explains some of these complicated issues in a simple way. I think the ESV does that pretty well. Their, their study Bible has a really, I thought a pretty solid footnote to help yeah. people work through it. Yeah. So I know you mentioned this in your longer teaching, um, but I'm kind of just curious to get your thoughts here as well of what do you see this kind of doing? Or maybe you mentioned it, I think, as like a fear of if kind of saying, look, yeah, this is a mistake, like kind of what that can do to kind of some people's faith or like, how can we can maintain a strong trust in biblical reliability when we have what are possibly known mistakes and additions into scripture? Right. Well, I I think what happens is people have kind of a naive, understandably have a naive look at scripture and they think my English version in IV, ESV, in ASB, whatever, my English version that I have is exactly perfectly representing the original writings as they were the day they were penned. And then someone goes, hey, there's a question about that verse or even this section. Mark's like, it's, there's only two sections, significant sections of the New Testament, John 8 and Mark, the last 12 verses. So that's it. They're only significant sections that are even in debate, right? Yeah. Um, but they find out about this and they had such a sort of fanciful view of the Bible to start with that it just shatters it. Yeah. And, now, and now they go, I can't know anything about my Bible. I can't trust anything. But here's the thing. If you can believe that Mark, the last 12 verses are even in doubt, then you can have that much confidence that the rest of Mark is not in doubt. Do you know what I mean? It's like once you can identify there's even questionable parts, right? you know, hey, was this original or not? Then you have to know that there must be some high degree of confidence about what the original said. Yeah. And our belief is not that my NIV Bible is 100% accurate in every way. It's that the originals were inspired by God and that they, they have no issues in them. <laughs> they're inerrant. They're reliable. We can trust that yeah. God gave us this. And so um, what we have with the, with the Bible is, it seems, is occasional addition, not loss. We're not losing anything God gave us. Sometimes there's something on the on a, on a margin. Maybe it looks like, hey, was that someone's commentary or was that originally part of the text? And a scribe goes, I don't know. I'll just include it because I'm not going to take away even what right. might have been scripture. Right. And then later scholars compare the manuscripts and they come to pretty firm conclusions in most places. Yeah. yeah. So we, we I- great confidence. Yeah, and I think that's so helpful to point out is like the only reason we know that these parts are in question is because we are, we have so many manuscripts and and we can compare and contrast and we have such good confidence in other parts that then again, we're not like afraid of this and then neither are the translators and they put it in there like, hey, this wasn't included. This may not be there. Uh, but again, yeah. you're not losing much. You're not losing the resurrection. You're not losing the truth of God and, and who Jesus <laughs> no. is. Like you're just losing a few <clears throat> things, which I'm actually kind of curious about if you found this uh, in your research is for those who kind of defend that this is inspired scripture, we should be kind of following it. Uh, would they say kind of the passages uh, that, that that talk about uh, kind of the Great Commission at the very end, uh, that they'll pick up serpents with their hands, drink deadly poisons, it will not hurt them? Like, is that kind of just prescriptive or is that showing, um, here's what could happen, like God will protect you? Again, how, would, how would they understand that? Because I think for others, it's like, well, yeah, that's kind of added. That's kind of some weird stuff. And, but it's probably not supposed to be there anyways. And so I don't take a lot of time to think about how to mm-hmm. understand that part. 
<clears throat> yeah, and see, here's where I'm, I'm a little different. Even though I conclude, at least my opinion, okay, I could be wrong, is that Mark didn't write it and that it wasn't originally part of Mark. But I also think that it, it appears as though the Holy Spirit at least might have intended for it to be there, so I'm going to reverence it. Um, and so I actually have a study in that in that Mark's series where I, I say, hey, supposing it's it, that we should just treat this as Scripture, how would, how would I interpret it? Yeah. And so the taking up uh, snakes in your hands... That's the, that's probably the most controversial or strange seeming verse, but right. nowhere there does it imply that you do it on purpose. <laughs> it never implies that, <laughs> nor does it say every single Christian will be protected if they do this. Instead, it, it seems to me that it's these signs will follow them that believe. Jesus is simply offering a external evidence that will confirm the truthfulness of the gospel, at least to the people that are hearing him at the moment. And so when we go to the book of Acts, we actually have an occurrence of this where Paul, he's <clears throat> builds a fire, puts wood on the fire, and they crash land on this island, right? And he puts wood on the fire, and a snake comes out because the, the heat's coming up, comes out of the wood pile right. and bites him. And the and the the locals are like, oh, he's going to die. Obviously, he's a bad guy. A snake's it's a poisonous snake bit him. And he shakes it off. And he's fine. And this and the locals are like, oh, he's a god. He's a and Paul's like, whoa, slow down. Let me tell you what this is really about, right? And he right. uses it to prove the gospel's true. And so um if we if we take Jesus' words and don't stretch them too much, as some sadly very sincere but totally misguided Appalachian preachers have done with the snake handling stuff, um, then it's it's not a problem at all. It seems to be talking about things that happened in early church history shortly after Christ uh ascended. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, let me jump in here to the first question that I have. Uh, and hopefully this is visible here on the screen. Uh, Tierra Noble, thank you so much for sending this in. She asks, um, question, do you know anything about the cult Shepherd's Chapel? Uh, they believe in pre-existence, serpent seed, Kenites, Kenites, very Kenites. big. And the Antichrist is Satan. And they focus on that uh, than anything else. Um, I have. I don't know anything about them. I, Ryan, have you heard of them? I have not. Yeah, oh, I'm I, so sorry. I, I I wish I wish I knew something about them. Yeah. I mean, from your description, they believe in pre-existence. That's not biblical. Serpent right. seed. That's not biblical. Kenites. I know I've heard of that, but off the top of my head, I cannot remember. I know I looked into that like a couple months ago, and I cannot remember now what it was. Um, so yeah, this just from your description, it seems like a runaway from this group kind of situation. <laughs> but yeah, I've never heard of them, or at least haven't looked into them. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Colts is not, um, not really my area of expertise as far as knowing a lot of the different cults. Mainly I focus a lot more on the ones that I'm going to be engaging with a little bit more mm -hmm. often. And, uh, and that's you find cults kind of difficult, <sighs> difficult, but it's like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, <laughs> I just wanted to make a pun. That's all. <laughs> It's just there's there's so much to know, right? And there's so many different views out there. And so it's like, how can we, you know, my my approach is always, you know, how can we know at least one or two things uh, to to show kind of of the major religions or cults or worldviews, kind of where they are mm -hmm. problematic and, and where they go wrong. You know, I don't yeah. have to know every single answer as to, you know, with Jehovah's Witnesses, the 144,000 and why they celebrate birthdays and all this kind of stuff. Like, let's just focus on Jesus. Uh, they have Jesus as a created being, and he's not, and so therefore it can't be a true view. And so. Uh, and right. then how to have a conversation on that topic. And so maybe I, I'm kind of curious, that maybe you're about to say something here, but also um, kind of your approach to studying as well, because you do these in-depth studies and you cover a wide range of topics, yet there is kind of this need to 
kind of have a basic understanding, maybe a lot of stuff. So how would you go about um, kind of keeping that broad range of knowledge on these different issues that you teach on? Or is it just that you've been doing it so long that stuff just kind of sticks? Oh man, I'm, I'm a leaky, I'm a leaky vessel. <laughs> so, <laughs> even my own, even my own studies that I taught are better than me as a resource, because that was when it was fresh on my mind and everything was sharp. And I'd been focusing on that issue for, you know, consistently for days or weeks. And, um, and so, you know, like two years later, you ask me about it and I'm like, yeah, there was something important about that. So we're all like that. I think or at least most of us are like that. Some are, some have amazing memories. I'm not, but yeah. What I would say is, you know, have a plan for how to deal with it when you're caught flat footed. You know, if you come across, say, somebody that's got weird teachings, um, find the more first. Here's step one. Find a more important weird teaching. Right. Don't just pick any weird thing they say and chase it down, but pick one that you're like, that's important. That relates to Jesus. That relates to salvation. That relates to the nature of God. Pick one that's like they say and you go, well, that's then you start asking questions. And rather than you proving them wrong, you ask them to prove themselves right. In this, you're gathering info and you're you're getting what scriptures they use. And you and if you don't know the verse, you stop and you say, Can we look at that in context? I'm not familiar with that. And we and you just take your time and you're patient. All you're doing is gathering the data so that you, you picked one real important issue so that you can then respond with that verse in context, with good teaching about that topic. And that way, even if you're caught completely off guard, you you have a usable game plan that starts entirely with just questions to gather information. Right. And I think that's so good. And you gather that information, you, you, you go to trusted resources, start doing your research, dive into scripture and, and, and looking at what does scripture have to see about this? How does it actually compare against what we know is true? Um, is so good. Now, uh, kind of along with our last interview, I'm kind of curious because uh, when I interviewed you on the Passion Translation, you were just about to start your Passion Project. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'm kind of curious to just kind of hear, maybe if you want to give a brief overview of what that project was for those who maybe don't know about it. Um, and then I'm kind of just curious to hear, like, are there any new insights, Some maybe some cool things that you learned uh, during that time uh, that you kind of want to share and kind of uh, reflecting back on that project that you spent a lot of time putting a lot of work into. Yeah. Okay. Here's the short version. Right? So the Passion <laughs> Translation is a new translation that got a, got a hold of my attention because um, when I looked into it just a little bit, it, for, it was catching on a wildfire in certain circles, certain Christian circles. It's becoming their, the Bible for their church. Right. And it comes with all these promises. They're talking about how it's going to ignite your heart for God. It's like a translation that's going to unlock the love language of God. And I'm like, huh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. So I look into it and I see a bunch of problems with it. <clears throat> and I make videos talking about those issues, trying to be gracious, but like, it's a bad, bad translation. It's not, a, it's not even a translation. It's, it's literally not a translation. It's at best <clears throat> an interpretive paraphrase at best. Um, so I made videos, but then I got pushback and they're like, Mike, you know, it feels like it's you versus this author, Brian Simmons, who made it. And I don't know which one of you I trust more. And I get that. If you don't follow all of the original language stuff, like you're kind of picking someone to trust. So I thought, here's a solution. I'll hire a group of, of as much as I can unbiased scholars and I'll have them each review the translation and then I'll post their, their reviews, their scholarly reviews for free. And that's the passion project. So I got really highly respected, really well-known scholars. I got Douglas Moo, right? Worked on the NIV translation. I, I got Craig Blomberg. I got Nijay Gupta. I got um, uh, Tr Tremper Longman, who's like one, the world, one of, if not the world expert on the poetic books of the Old Testament, right? And so I just got some really solid, solid people to do this stuff. They all review the translation. 
I made their papers available for free and I interviewed each of them one at a time. Uh, Daryl Bach was another one. And they each reviewed different books. So Douglas Moo reviewed Romans and Romans is like his bread and butter, right? That's what he's done. Craig yeah. Blomberg reviewed First Corinthians and he's done that. And Jay Gupta did Galatians and he's focused on that. So I got scholars in their, in their area of expertise and specialism. Boom. There's the Passion Project in a nutshell. Uh, Craig Blomberg said of the Passion Translation that it deserves a Surgeon General's warning because of its potential hazards. Yeah. And he's a nice guy, by the way. <laughs> he's a really nice guy. You know, Douglas Moo, when he presented the paper to me, it was all done. He goes, I hope I wasn't too harsh because he doesn't want to be confrontational or rude, but it just, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, it's all there. Um, the response, I think there's been real pushback. I haven't heard any actual response from Brian Simmons to the project because he's the single guy, the right. really, the, the major guy behind the Passion uh, Translation. I haven't heard any real response to it. He said at one point he was eager to see what scholars said about it, and I provided him with that opportunity. Um, Did you you send him all the videos and the in the papers? Oh, he knows. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he knows. Yeah, I, I, we we had a private conversation, but it, I had to keep that private, so I can't share any of the details of that right. combo. That was part of the agreement to be able to have it. Right. So, um, so I, I, but we did talk, and he's very aware of all this stuff. Um, and, uh, and others are looking into it. What I found is there's some who were supporting it before who are, because of this project, they're like, wow, I didn't know that. I just thought Brian was a solid guy. Like I thought, boy, he seems sincere and maybe it's just the spirits really called him to do this. And then they see that the actual work itself put under scrutiny and they go, oh no, that's a real right. problem. And so that's the advantage of this project. I, I don't want a bunch of his private theology shoved into the pages of, 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 the New Testament and Old Testament, right? where he's adding verses and adding not just verses, but adding whole sentences in some cases that are nowhere in the original language, adding words that would be foreign, ideas that are foreign to the text. And he does this an awful lot. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, that was my next question for you on that is, is I know like in the people that I've talked to, um, maybe I have to be a little careful. I don't know. But uh, in, in certain circles that I run in, the Passion Translation is very popular. And, yeah. um, and so uh, I have a hard time and, and I, and I want to say certain things and at times I do and other times, you know, it's kind of being a little bit quiet or whatnot. Um, but what I find is that most people who love it after having a, a thoughtful conversation with them, it's because they don't really realize what it is or what it claims to be or what it does. It's like, oh no, this is just like the message. This is just like uh, any other paraphrase. Um, written in a beautiful way and not really taking it back and comparing it against uh, a more literal translation like an NASB or ESV or something uh, to see whole ideas uh, added in. And and what I often find is, is it's more of a, uh, um, a popular translation uh, because of a misunderstanding of what it maybe is. And, and after having that conversation and being like, here's what Brian Simmons did, here are the claims that he made of where he got this knowledge from, and now compare that against an ESV and realize this isn't just a paraphrase. These are different ideas being presented. Um, then also the red flags kind of go up there as well for those people. And it's like, wow, yeah. I didn't even realize it because like, and one question I was asked, and maybe, I don't know if you have an answer to this because I maybe doubt it because you're not part of the app, but like, it's like, well, but the Bible app has it. And mm -hmm. so like, if this isn't a good, reliable translation, why would apps like the Bible app put it as an option? And so right. I'm kind of curious if you have something on that as well as just, is that kind of sure. been your experience as well yeah. of when people hear this, it's like, wow, I, I was unaware. I just thought this was just like every other translation that's out there. Yeah. 
Well, I, you know, I kind of want to say, hey, why do we think that any version that's on my Bible app is automatically good? <laughs> like, that seems kind of naive. <laughs> like, that's all it takes, huh? Just any version. Here's my Bible app. Yeah. It's got 67 Bible translations on it. <laughs> 67 of them, including the Passion, for last I checked, right? Yep. It's got the World English Bible. Don't even, never heard of that one. World Messianic Bible, never heard of that one either. Young's Literal Translation, which I think is kind of weird. <laughs> it's got the Radiate New Testament. Radiate. Never heard of that. I don't know who wrote that or <laughs> where it came from. Um, it's got it's got everything in here, right? It's got the message, and I don't like the message, even though I, I know a lot of people do. Personally, I, I think that it does, yeah. If you know, find a better <laughs> paraphrase than that one, please. <laughs> my in my opinion. Um, you know, it's got a bunch of stuff in here. There's no reason to assume that these are automatically good translations. It, I just don't get it. You know, here's the Catholic public domain version. Okay. Yeah, that won't that won't have bias at all, right? Like it's not right. going to be trying to avoid the fact that Jesus had brothers and sisters or anything like that. You know? So um, I think that we have to challenge that kind of concept. Um, the Passion Translation is, is, is presented to people as though it is this like charismatically um, okay, in one place, Brian Simmons, he, he says different things in different audiences. In one place, he says, hey, this, there's no bias here on the website. It, he's like, there's no bias. I'm not representing this translation does not represent any particular denomination or group or any sort of bias within Christianity. <clears throat> then in front of other p audiences, he goes, this is the only translation that is that has signs and wonders and apostolic calling and and in tr transportation and visitations and miracles built into the translation. And you're like. Well, which one is it? Well, it depends on what audience he's talking to at the time. This is part of the problem with the translation. I think that he's a better salesman than he is a translator. Um, yeah. And and so it's sold as a charismatic translation. And I believe in the gifts. Okay, I'm not, I'm not cessationist. Um, but it's sold as a charismatic translation. And that appeals very much to people who are hungry for revival and hungry for deeper experiences with God. And I think that he's using that as an in- but in the in the end, he's not representing the text properly. So it's no yeah. longer what Paul wrote. It's yeah. what Brian, how Brian rewrites what Paul wrote. You know. Yeah. So I'm curious what you would say. A, a good friend of mine, um, you know, he, I, I found it. Or he told me his pastor uses the translation. He never thought much about it. And then we had a long conversation one day about it. He went to church the next Sunday, and sure enough, like all the all the passages were quoted out of the TPT, and it started raising some flags for him. But he loves his church. Mm -hmm. He loves his pastor, and he has that relationship with his pastor where he goes, "I, I want to talk to him." Now I haven't talked to him in a little bit, so I don't know if he has talked to his pastor or not about this. Mm -hmm. But I'm just kind of curious of, of what would be your suggestion, your recommendation. Uh, for those who are maybe attending churches where this translation is used from time to time uh, or is the main translation, uh, what would, should they do? Should they talk to the pastor, just let it go or find a new church? How, how far should they go in responding? I mean, my first thing is always go talk to the guy, talk to the pastor, the elders. If, if there's, if you have a church that's led by a group of elders, ask, ask to speak with the elders, plural, because you want the wisdom of multiple people in case somebody just ignores you. Someone else in the room might listen. If you have a pastor, a uh, church that's led mostly just by one senior pastor, who's kind of like fully in control of everything, then talk to him and go super graciously. He, he gets people who aggressively come to him and they're mad about nitpicky things. And so you want to make sure you don't come off that way because then he'll shut you down, right? So my, my recommendation is you go and you say, hey, um, I love you. I appreciate you. I love our church. Um, you, I noticed you were using the Passion Translation. I have some concerns. And here's what, here's what I'd recommend. You say, would you be willing to listen to and consider some of my concerns? Rather than, 
this is a horrible translation. I can't believe you're using it. You're failing as a pastor, right? <laughs> All the walls. I mean, unless he's a very humble man, all the walls are going to go right up, right? Um, the other thing is I recommend, you know, saying, hey, are you willing to look into this a little bit? I have some resources. This guy, Mike Winger, hired a number of very highly respected scholars to review the translation and, it, and it's available for free for you to, and you could send them some of these videos. People will watch a video without interrupting it, but they won't listen to you in person without interrupting you. And so you can't always make your full case, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, that's why I made that resource. It was for, it was yeah. for churches who go, Hey, I'm willing to look into this, but I don't want to take someone's word for it. Like, I really want to see it. And when they, I mean, people who, who know, they, they know that um, these guys are major, like respected and, and serious committed Christians. They're not just brainy scholars. They're, they're serious committed Christians. The people that are part of the project, they love, they love the Lord and they did a good job um, dealing with the issue. So you can either print out the papers for free on my website, biblethinker.org, go to the passion translation, uh, the passion project, excuse me. Every paper is for free, print it, hand it over to them or, or send them the interviews. That's even better. Cause it shows all these clips of Brian Simmons saying wild, crazy things. And the scholars responding and saying, yeah, yeah that's not true. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful. All right. So switching gears here a little bit, um, kind of curious, uh, your, your, kind of channel is is designed and geared around kind of getting people to think biblically about everything. Um, how do you do that? Um, more so, I'm kind of curious of like, how do you uh, encourage or maybe you're, how do you stay motivated, but how do you also try to maybe encourage and motivate others to really go back to scripture and, and to say, look, I need to know what scripture has to say about this. I need to follow what scripture teaches versus what I like or what I dislike, what I find attractive, what makes me happy or what some person in my life that I respect says. And so I'm kind of just curious of like, you know, where does that kind of... I don't know. What do you do to try to get people to like, look, you have to see how important yeah. it is to think biblically about everything. Um, <clears throat> I think it's kind of easy if you believe that God inspired the Bible. To me, that's all I need. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Like you walking through a desert, you find this book. It's got a bunch of stuff in it. Stories about life and history, teachings about the truth of reality and your purpose and guidance about wisdom and moral things. And then you find out God himself inspired this thing so you could read it. If you're not excited, you're like, something's wrong with your brain. Like that's what I'm saying. So once you know the Bible's God's word, if you are more interested in what a pastor says than the scripture, more interested in, in, in whatever, I, that's a problem. There's a disconnect, right? There's a disconnect. Um, it's kind of like the person who's married and has three kids and he has no appreciation for his family. And, and it's like, you're, you have a wife and, and a family. How do you not treasure and, and see them as totally precious? Like, I just think something's wrong in your brain. <laughs> so I, I love the word of God because it's God's holy word. That's all I need. Um, what, I, what I do to try to help myself think biblically about things is I will ask, and I started doing this as a teacher a long time ago. I started asking, wait, do I really know that from scripture? Or do I just think that because I feel like I've absorbed that somehow? And so then I feel like I have to find scripture to, to, to prove my point for myself even. And if you're, if you put that burden on yourself, yeah, but do I actually have the scripture for that? Do I actually have verses that show that? Do, have I seen that in context? Um, <clears throat> that will cause you to keep opening the Bible again and reading it again and double checking. And as a pastor, it causes me to, to change my notes, right? You, you've done this, you're preparing something and you go, oh, this is a good point. Oh, that verse would be great. And then you go to read the context just to make sure. And you go, yeah. 
Oh, that's not even what that's about. <laughs> that's not what it's talking about. <laughs> I can't use that anymore. What was I thinking? Yeah. I definitely cannot use that. So, yeah. um, so yeah, man, just knowing it's God's word, how do, how are you not, how are you not excited about it? I mean, what? it's not like reading a, a, a fantasy novel. It's meant to, to titillate you or something. It's, it's, but it's information from God. Um, that alone. Yeah. And I think that's one of my, I mean, it just it, kind of going back to the passion translation again, then it, it, that's one of my thoughts when, when I've kind of thought through, like, what would I say to someone who goes, Hey, what do you think about the passion translation? Um, and, and my short response, and, and I guess I would respond with a question, at least here's my question I have. And it kind of goes to this importance of God's word is, um, if you wrote a message, if you, if you put out a letter, if you put out a text message, how much could I change that message before it is no longer what you wrote? Mm -hmm. Like, so if, if, you know, a CEO of a company writes a message to all the employees and says, Hey, employees, here's what we're going to be doing. Like, how much could I alter his message and still say, the CEO wrote this, it's his words, right? And I think that's important because when you recognize the Bible being the word of God, and I think that's why I'm very careful to talk about things like to say like, well, God said, well, is that just my feeling that I had? Or is it like actually in God's word? Like, cause like, man, I know that people said like, hey, Ryan Pauly said this, if I didn't say it, like that doesn't feel good. I'm not like, I don't like people putting words in my mouth or saying I said something, but they actually twisted what I said. It wasn't what I said. And so I think mm. that with kind of the importance of scripture being God's word, as well as what other people kind of claim makes me very cautious when, when we're claiming this is what God said, if he didn't actually say it. And if he said it, how incredibly important is this? Absolutely. Now with that, um, a, a text message uh, question came in um, and I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on it was someone who watched a video that I did on uh, the, the abortion bills that are kind of being passed and, and voted on in different states. And, and what do I think about these different kind of restrictions, abortion restrictions and laws? Um, and I talked about this idea of like, look, I, I think that there's, it's not an either or. It's not like just like try to convince people what is right in their hearts. And it's not just about creating a bunch of laws, but we need kind of both and. Um, and so, yeah, we need to convince people that murder is wrong. They should love people, but we also need to have laws against murder. And so the question that they asked me, and I'm kind of curious to get your heart on is, is how do we change people's hearts towards sex, right? So if, if abortion is coming down, this idea of kind of just this free sex that we have, like how do we get, how do we change people's hearts and persuade them of a, the, the beauty and importance of a biblical view of sex? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't have a perfect <laughs> answer for this. Um, let me, I, there's probably a number of different ways to do it and people are wired differently. So um, sometimes you, you put, you put the situation, you change, you change the scenario. How would you, what would you think if someone did that to your sister, right? Or your mother? Oh, well, oh, I don't feel okay about that. I mean, I want to do that to this girl over here, but I wouldn't want someone to do that to my sister. Okay, this is this is showing you something's wrong. Um, for some people, like you, you just trust the work of the Holy Spirit, and you just tell them, "Yeah, that's sinful. You need to stop. That's wicked." And yeah. that honestly, I know this sounds to some people like, "Oh, you're you're Bible thumping now." Um, but well, fine. I don't care if you, I whatever. Is there a verse that says I can't thump Bibles? Whatever that means. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure that that's exactly a wrong thing, but. There's something powerful about this. Like I remember uh, one time, real story, there was a, a woman and a man uh, committing adultery together. The wife of the man came over to us. I was working at this Christian coffee shop and she says, will you come with me? My husband's right like a few houses down from us. He's, he's with this girl right now and I want somebody Christian with me. So 
two of us went from the coffee shop, me and a girl went with them to confront. Right. And we're like, this is, I don't, you couldn't just leave her alone. Like, what are you going to do? This lady's alone and she's confronting her husband. So we go there and the man is sure enough, he's there. Well, the woman he's committing adultery with opens the door and she's defiant and she, and her, her head's high and her shoulders are back, you know, and she's defiant. And she goes, we love each other. We love each other. This is, this is the, God is giving us this. We love each other. And I'm just sitting there like, what is she saying? Like, how could she say this? The man was hiding in the bathroom, literally hiding. He wouldn't come out. He wouldn't acknowledge, he wouldn't acknowledge being there. <clears throat> and um, she even said he's in the bathroom. <laughs> but he just wouldn't acknowledge. And so what I discerned or understood at the moment was he, he was embarrassed and ashamed and he was hiding because he knew how bad it was. She was defiant because she was actually deceived and thought it was okay. Hmm. And so when he finally came out, um, I was a little upset as anybody probably should be. <laughs> and I told him what I told him he was a horrible person. <laughs> and that he was, and I mean, it really, I wasn't, I wasn't laughing either, you know, and I was like telling him what a horrible person he was and he's doing this to his wife. And that's, it's so disgusting and horrible that he would do this to her. He's breaking his vows to her. I wanted to make him feel as bad as possible because that was what he needed to hear. And then I looked at the girl and I said, and you're just totally deceived. You really think this is okay. You're so deceived. And the weird thing was her face just like fell when I said you're deceived. And I, I didn't know if it landed or not. We ended up leaving, right? And then we were there to pray and talk to the wife and try to give her some whatever pathetic advice and counsel we could try to give in such a horrible scenario. And years later, that girl who committed adultery, she came to me and found me at the church. And she goes, I just, I just wanted to thank you. When you told me you're, you were deceived, it's like the blinders went off my eyes. And I suddenly knew that's completely true. That's exactly what's wrong. Like I'm, I'm just being deceived. And she said, I got out of that relationship and I repented and I'm walking with the Lord and everything's so, so thank you so much for being willing to just tell it to me like it is. So for some people, I think you just have to tell them that's sin. And they go, well, I, I hate when you say that sin because well, you hate it because you like your sin and you don't want me to tell you it is. Um, so there's, this is why, you know, it's okay to stand in front of abortion clinic and, and, and have a sign that says like abortion, you know, kills a baby. Duh. <laughs> like, of course it does. I think that it's okay to just tell people straight up, but, um, but sometimes they're hiding and sometimes they're deceived and may God give us wisdom. Um, I don't have like a one size fits all plan. I know that in scripture, Jesus just shows up and he's like, yeah, repent. John the Baptist shows up and he's like, hey, <laughs> repent. Um, so in the New Testament, my impression is that Paul would just tell people like, repent of your sexual immorality. And I don't know if, if maybe someone turned to him and said, it's not immoral. And he would have been like, yeah, it is. You need to repent. <laughs> I don't I don't know how much they labored on proving that sin was sin versus right. just saying it was. Yeah. Actually, the more I think about it. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, that kind of leads another thought I had of, of like, if you're speaking to the high school, college kids, like, you know, talking about how do we go back to the importance of scripture, but also like specifically on this topic of like, man, how do we, how can we talk to someone to try to help them see the importance of following what scripture teaches on these issues rather than, you know, they go off to high school, college, there, there's, there's the peer pressure, there's whatever else is going on of like the culture saying, this is okay, this is fine. Um, you know, not only recognizing the, the, the authority of scripture in our lives, but also the importance of saying like, even though this isn't fun, even though this isn't uh, going to make me feel good, I need to follow what God says. Kind of maybe what would you say right. to the high school, college student who is struggling yeah. to stay true to scripture versus what their friends or, or culture is talking about. So what, what I think of, especially for young people is the book of Proverbs, because it's like wisdom for young people. 
And one of the ways Proverbs does this, how all these chapters that warn about sexual sins and things like that, it warns about pride, it warns about sluggishness and laziness, but it, but it always does it um, with a cost benefit analysis, right? So it's like, um, talks about how like the, the adulterous woman, how the, 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 the person goes after her, right? But he's going to his own death. And yeah, her, her mouth is dripping with honey. So we can acknowledge the temptation of this thing, right? Yes, it's, it's, it's tempting. Yes, it seems wonderful and beautiful, but its end is death. Its end is pain. Its end is suffering. And so bringing that like consequential awareness to people, especially young people, is really helpful. Me at my age, you don't have to tell me that a, 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 an affair would ruin my life. Right. Right. But but like a, a, a kid that's like 16, 17, and they want to fool around, they want to mess around, they think it's no big deal. They want to, they want to spend some time doing what they want before they get serious with things, you know, um, they, they, they're, they're like just dumb enough to believe that it's that they'll get away with it. And so Proverbs, Proverbs is there to say like, hey, man, uh, here's what happens. I, so Proverbs does that. The other so, so one prong of giving wisdom is walking them through the costs acknowledging the temptation, acknowledging why it feels like you want to do this, but acknowledging the cost and showing that the patient godly way, that's where true, true lasting happiness and pleasure is. Um, the other prong is to demonstrate that go to Christ. He died for you to, so you would live for him and talk about salvation and your love and your gratitude for Christ says, how can I do this thing? It's like Joseph when you wouldn't sleep with Potiphar. Potiphar's wife, excuse me. I mean, either of them, I guess, but he wouldn't sleep with Potiphar's <laughs> he wife. He didn't do it with either, yes. <laughs> this is true. But um, but he wouldn't sleep with Potiphar's wife, right? And and she wanted, and he says, like, your your husband has done these great things for me and God has blessed me so much. And then I loved his response. He says, how can I do this thing and sin against God? He had a heart for God. Like he actually thought sin was a personal wound against God. And seeing it that way, it wasn't just like, uh, oh, it's just this thing I'm not supposed to do. It's a personal wound against God. It's like the, the the kid who lies to their parent so that they could like ditch school and go do what they want that day. Then they get home, their parent finds out they lied, and they discover their parent is more upset about the personal hurt of the lie than they yeah. were about the missing school. And the right. kid goes, oh, I wasn't just doing what I wanted for fun. Like I was wounding you. I was hurting you. Yeah. And when we see the relational aspect, Christ died so I could be holy. He, he loves me. He gave himself for me. I should live for him. This is the love relationship um, that maybe the lights go on. Yeah. Now, Mike, uh, uh, I kind of have one more follow-up on that, but we have gone over time. So can I have a few more minutes? <laughs> I, will, I will grant. I will grant. You are a busy guy. I appreciate you taking the time because I know there's a lot coming up. And so I'll ask this and then I'll kind of let you share kind of what's coming up for those who are listening for you. Um, but on that, uh, Mary Gamarian uh, posted, I don't know if I can put it up here, uh, pondering the difference between calling out sin in a fellow believer versus in a non-believer. So when we experience these people yeah, sitting around us, uh, what do we do with the non-Christian friends that we have versus the, the believing friends that we have and calling that out? What is our responsibility as maybe not pastors, as just friends or church members uh, in calling out that sin? Well, I do think we have, uh, uh, here's just my thoughts. This is my two cents. Okay. So I don't want to be heard, you know, here I am in front of people and I have a microphone and I'm on, a, on, on YouTube. So it doesn't, that doesn't give me more authority here. So as, as a brother in Christ, here's how I'm working through this question. Um, <clears throat> when it does come to a, the difference between a believer and a non-believer, there is a difference. Like one of them has made a faith commitment to Christ. And so um, Paul says, you know, let, let him who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That there's like a, 
expectation. Pardon me. There's an expectation that's there. So the there's there's a sameness between the two and there's a difference. The sameness is God commands all people to turn from sin. So the unbeliever has the same command to turn from sin as the believer does. But with the believer, there's a different expectation created by their commitment to Christ. And so I do feel like I can call a believer to a higher standard in a sense. Um, also with the believer, the sin is... I guess, I guess more readily, that's the thing I want to confront. Whereas with the unbeliever, there's a bigger overarching issue that isn't just one sin. It's their right. whole rejection of Christ. Right. And that's the thing that I care about the most. And yeah. so let, let's just say you're doing triage, right? If you go to do triage on somebody, this is like, there's a bomb that blows up and you're the first responder on the scene and you're, and you're going, okay, this person is, <clears throat> they're, they're, they're bleeding from their arm. This person is bleeding from their chest. And you're like, okay, which of these is a bigger issue? Well, let's say the one bleeding from his chest is also bleeding from his arm. You're going to address the chest wound first, most likely, right. the arm next. And so in a sense, I want to say the believer is bleeding from their arm when they deal with sin. The unbeliever may be bleeding from their arm with that particular sin, but there's a life of rebellion against God, and that's the chest wound. And so yeah. I'm just saying sometimes I have other priorities that, that cause right. me to change what I address. Yeah. Right. You can, you know, this is, you know, specifically it comes to, it comes to mind with conversations like with Christopher Yuan on, on homosexuality. And it's like, you know, you can, you can get someone who's not a believer in Jesus Christ to stop practicing homosexual sex and right. to like, if, if it's impossible to, to make them straight, but if they still don't know Christ, they're still lost, right? And so that's why it's like his goal, he talks about his goal is not to make gay people straight. His goal is to bring people to Jesus and yeah. understand the biblical view of holy sexuality. And I just love his approach to that. And I think it's so important to recognize what you just said is that overarching need that people have. Um, as we wrap up, let me just say, uh, heaven bound. Uh, your question, does Numbers 5, 11 to, 20, 11 to 29 uh, support abortion? Red Pen Logic uh, with Tim Barnett. Uh, he just put out a fantastic short video uh, responding to this. You can find it on his Facebook page, Renped Logic with Mr. B. Um, I think it's like the first pin post at the very top is, does Numbers 5 support uh, abortion? So check that out. We don't have that time to answer that one today, but thank you so much for, for sending that in. Mike, uh, as I uh, thank you and say goodbye, I'd love for you to say, maybe mention what it is that you are studying right now, because I'm actually really intrigued on this topic as well, uh, what you're studying and preparing for and kind of the next big teaching for people to check out and go follow <laughs> at your ministry well i'm going to be creating some enemies i think <laughs> i'm tackling the topic of women in ministry and i am uh, i've always been complementarian which is which is the view that there are limits there are some some limits to what roles men and women play right and then the egalitarian view is the other side that says no there's no limits of any kind so you can have women elders and all these yeah. sort of things and my question is have I been wrong? I just, so I, I've been doing very, very deep research on this stuff for a couple months now, and I'll have at least a month more before I'm able to teach it. Um, I'm reading more egalitarians than I am complementarians. So more yeah. people who would disagree with my previous position. So currently I'm working through, you know, one in Christ, uh, man and woman, one in Christ by Philip Payne. He's like a major scholar promoting this stuff. I've already made it through working through discovering biblical equality, brand new edition of the most cutting edge, um, egalitarian scholars, a whole bunch of them, including guys like Craig Keener, um, uh, Cynthia Westfall, um, a bunch of Lynn Culloch, a bunch of different well-known egalitarian scholars. So I'm working through it all. I have ridiculous numbers of pages of notes. When I'm done studying it, I'll compile it all together and I'll offer what'll probably be a far too long teaching 
with timestamps. Yeah. <laughs> Breaking down every issue I can um, yeah. and giving as much clarity as I can. So I'm excited about it because this is one of those issues where it's like, I sort of have been cautious to not answer questions about it for a long time because I was just not sure if I was right, you know, and I wanted the chance to vet my own views here. And um, I'm excited to finally have some conclusions. Yeah. Well, that's what I think is so encouraging about your channel is not only that you go so in-depth, you're reading all the books that disagree with your position. So it's not just this one-sided, here's all the views that agree with me and, and my position that I have. Uh, but you also, yes, you, uh, with many of your videos, are, are creating enemies because you're, you're tackling the big controversial topics and trying to do a fair approach and looking at what does the Bible say. So I really appreciate that about you, uh, your ministry. Thanks for being a friend. Thanks for coming on, chatting with me. Yep. Likewise, likewise. Ryan, I uh, appreciate having you on or have you having me on, I guess. Is what I appreciate. <laughs> you're, you're normally the one doing the interview. <laughs> I, guess, I guess I don't do too many interviews. I'm usually just That's too true. busy to do anything. But, uh, but yeah, but yeah, but we know each other and we're buddies and uh, he, he, he told me I had to do it or, or he would never show me his baby pictures. <laughs> I had no choice. Um, okay, <laughs> we'll go with that one. Um, <laughs> awesome, Mike. Well, have an awesome rest of your day. All right. You too, man. Take care. All right, those watching, hey, Mike does this almost every week on his channel uh, where he takes your questions. So you can head over there and watch that video as well as check out his live Q&As. But thank you so much for being here. For hope this was an encouragement and a blessing to you. If you are new, a lot of these videos uh, are coming out, interviews uh, with different scholars on different biblical topics, focusing on science and culture, ethics, values, religion is what I love to do as a high school teacher, dealing with the topics that students are dealing with. That is my goal and that is what I do here on this channel. So if you enjoy that, you can uh, subscribe, you can like this video, share it if this has been a blessing and will be an encouragement to other people as well. If you're coming up on the end of the year, this is a supported ministry where it's completely free content and just doing this because I love sharing this with you. And so if you want to support, you can check out that in, uh, information below as well, as well as the other videos that are going to pop up here at the end. So with that, have a wonderful rest of your day, a great Christmas season. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, happy new year, and everything that is coming up. Pray that God continues to be with you and encourage you and that you continue to think deeply about God, Jesus, and Christianity because they are worth thinking about. Bye, everybody. Thanks for being here.